0: but it had the intent of the things we evolved with a certain you know, idea in mind, which was to give anyone who was well-behaved and anyone who wanted it a good experience with good drink involved and offering them the highest quality experience that we could.
1: Hello and welcome to Best Sips Worldwide. I'm your drinking companion, Susan Schwartz, an American travel writer living in London. Thanks to my mother's love of martinis... The first words I spoke were shaken, not stirred, and I've been obsessed by the history of cocktails ever since. Through the years, I've been lucky enough to sip some of the best made by the best. Hear that sound? It's time to cozy up to the bar and let me introduce you to the movers and shakers of the world's most famous watering holes. Little did they know when they were at school together that they would change the bar scene in Liverpool. After studying art and tourism respectively, our guests today, John Ennis and Matt Farrell, only wanted to be their own boss and make drinks they could be proud of. Now they have everyone in Liverpool, and now London, drinking 100% agave tequila. John starts us off.
0: Uh, So how we met was, both Matt and I uh, went to a school called Liverpool College. So we've known her since about 10 years of age. Uh, We have another partner as well involved in another business. Same so both with me and the partner, we were like very good school friends. You know, like sleepover. So you were friends then? Not really, we obviously went to school together. <laughs> yeah. uh, we went like, we wouldn't like, cause like the other partner- You weren't now, drinking together or no, anything. No, the other partner, like, yeah, we'd stay at each other's houses on the weekends. I, I was like, in the
2: of, year yeah, below. Okay. In school. Oh,
0: yeah. So yeah, we weren't like the closest stuff friends back then. Uh, but we, well actually, the first time we worked together professionally was, I moved back from university, and I sent out a CV to a bunch of um, independent, well, independent H bar restaurants to find out you know, if my expertise could be used in any kind of manner. And, and what was that
1: expertise? What did you study?
0: Oh, no, it was so what I studied and why my expertise are two different things. So you want to ask me about okay, uh, what first, I
1: studied?
0: How later. You study? What you study? Well, I studied fine art. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, and so I did that for about five, six years after like moved you to know, school. What art What medium should I say In particular Oh well uh, It was a very open ended degree So I didn't pick a very In terms of degree I didn't really pick a a course That was led in one particular way So a lot of it was Open ended And you could do whatever you wanted In terms of medium But it was very educational based In terms of You learn a lot about History of art Aesthetics Antiquities I picked a course deliberately To get Like that To get a broad spectrum the only thing I didn't realise was when I did the course, it was joint honours, and um, I had done a lot of exams, a lot of reading, which I wasn't anticipating on doing when I got there. But anyway, so after I done that, I graduated with like 500 credits and found out to do a master's, I only needed a few more credits, so I, I handed a, a, a few um, a few essays and things to do to get on my master's, and then that was it then. and then I Were you bartending
1: school. as well at the, whole the same time? time? Yeah, the
0: whole time I was bartending, mm-hmm. uh, full time. So it was... To me it was more of um, a hobby as well as getting paid for The
1: bartending it. was the hobby or the art was the
0: hobby? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> both, isn't it? But you know it's um, and I was getting paid for both at the time by the way. I sold quite a lot of art when I was in university. But um yeah, I, I you know, I, I do I, I do like both and I've always said when I retire, I'll take back up an art practice, but an art practice is something that you have to be continually doing to, you know, one enjoy it and two get, get something out of it.
1: Well, you've, you've brought your art to your drinks, I guess.
0: Yeah, you know what, you can you can see that in some manners, and uh, I know there's other, um, you know, art degree graduates, like Tony Cugliaro, I think, well, I think he got an art degree. I think so, anyway. Don't quote me on that. But uh, I think he has, anyway. So, I mean, he's done the same thing on, a on like, a next-level basis. He's really, like, opened his mind to what, what a drink can be, where well, I'm probably a bit more convinced.
1: Well, I interviewed um, Felicity... Um, I'm sorry, Fliss Gransden of Bel Cesar. I think she's moved on from there, but she studied uh, costume design. Okay. So she said her first um, competition, she made the drink look so pretty, yeah. but it didn't taste so good, and so she didn't, you know, she didn't win. So yeah. I'm finding that a lot of you guys and girls um, come from that kind of artistic, creative background, creative background oh, yeah, and yeah. bring it to the drinks, and it's no
0: shock. Yeah. Really, you know, it seems it's just, to go hand in hand. It's quite a creative uh, industry, you know, especially in interiors as well. And, and you know, just even concepts, they can be quite creative. Mm-hmm. It's not like your average person who does like a nine to five will walk into it and be like, I want to be a restaurateur or bar owner, because they're usually the ones that we see on a regular basis fail.
2: Oh yeah, that mm-hmm. happens more often than that now.
1: Are you, were you into art as well?
2: No, I, I was. I was studying tourism. Um, I'm actually from more like a kind of food background, really restaurant based. Uh, I was actually I was actually doing my Masters of Tourism when we first put on our first venture, so I never actually finished it. But uh, I don't think I need to, hopefully.
1: So you remained friends from 10 years old until... No. no, no.
0: No, no. <laughs> no, we weren't really so, friends. Uh, no, we were, we were in, in school. I think we had one maybe one class together, maybe something like that, I can't remember. I used uh, to go out with my
2: friend sister, actually. Oh, boy,
0: yeah, <laughs> now, now the truth comes out. <laughs> I did go out with my friend sister. But, um, really. but, yeah, so, I mean... Wait, wait, wait. So you the what were you we talking about? After how we met? So yeah. I think after the university, yeah, I sent this letter about like what I'd done for TJ Fridays and Howard Cafe, which was a company training for both of those. And I had quite a—that's uh, quite very... a
1: rigorous training. <laughs> That's...
0: It is. Both of them are. I mean, both of them have got their own credibility in mm. their own manner, but they don't stand up on today's platform of what patterns are doing, but. Yeah, you know, they have a good training program. I suppose it depends about who's got the information and how they then use it. Mm-hmm. So, I had a very, a very, very background after, uh, before that. So, I would worked for a company called Living Ventures, and I would worked for a lot of small independent bars. I worked abroad
1: and, as a bartender.
0: Yeah, yeah, as a bartender. So, a few of these things, you know, just add to the CV. And it looks, it looks a certain way when someone's reading it. You know, if you're in an independent restaurant bar and you want a bit of an edge, you know, someone with a good education in the drinks industry can certainly give you a lead, and you know a lead on your competitors. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I sent out this letter. I had loads of responses, and then the one that attracted me the most was this um, bar called The Gallery, which is actually on in, in a suburb where I grew up. So I ended up taking that job there, uh, and I think the wage was like twenty three thousand a year, which back then I was really happy with because most postgraduates don't really get anything like that. So I was made up, and then. They announced that they were gonna expand. I mean that's part of where he's mad at the job. Maybe they were expanding to open this one in Formby, which is another suburb. It's a bit more affluent, it's where a lot of footballers and, and things live. And the GM at the time was like, I need to hire someone to do the floor training and whatnot and Matt C V had came in and I seen it and I was like, "Since it's the GM Lee, you need to ring this guy. Did um, you know it
1: was the Matt Farrell?
0: Yes. <laughs> it's only one When yeah, only, I only only see his CV I'm going to know straight away it was him on so you know by reading the CV although we hadn't spoken for a fair few years you know what I mean you look at the CV you're and like, see oh, all yeah, this stuff yeah that guy
1: whose girlfriend <laughs> oh, no, 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 I no, did no. his red girlfriend
0: <laughs> yeah so um, anyway yeah I think Lee rang him and then next minute you know Matt's in doing a trial shift and then obviously it went from there really the, the restaurant that ended up opening for me we were like Thickest Thieves in that one
1: all right, and so you were doing your tourism thing. How did you get in behind the bar?
0: Um, I had to learn
2: that, really, from scratching bartending, not cocktail properly bartending. So that was kind of new to me. So that was a new skill that I, when we opened our first venture, really had to pick up, um, which, which I did, which mm-hmm. it had to be done. Um, Which
0: I'll say bear way, because I trained <laughs> them very well, mate. Oh, That's right. Yeah. but,
2: um, but <laughs> yeah. Because you are was, one year
0: older,
2: <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. So, um, yeah, I had to learn that from scratch, really. Um, but I don't think that was when. Wasn't doing the tourism then. I think we went to do something then, and then it was after that that. So we went to do something after that where mm-hmm. John's saying. Um, we d- it didn't kind of come to fruition. Oh right, yeah. yeah so, so
0: we we we, uh, we looked at another site uh, in a suburb. I think our first ideas of of, of an adventure together. What won- was, wait,
1: wait, sec. Was this after you started working at the gallery?
0: Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you'd after. already
1: you'd started working at the gallery and it was yeah, going up, pretty no. well. And you realised that oh, you guys well, could work together. Well, we go, if you go, go, no, no, no. no.
2: <laughs> if you go back to what we we're saying about people who don't have experience in the industry and in they open restaurants, let's just say that was. That thing. that thing. That's without mentioning. that oh, else. Yeah. I don't. know. I don't mention
0: any names. <laughs> so I quite like the guy who owned the place. But, like, uh, but it was intense. So it was an intense I, few yeah. weeks.
2: I did 110 hours in the first week.
0: Oh boy. And oh, I, know. like I said, oh. I was on salary. and he was. hourly. And he was hourly. That's all right. That's all right. He got six So yeah, he ended up getting paid. In that week, he got paid like you know six hundred, seven hundred pound. I was like something and, oh, and I was, and, right. uh, it was right.
2: <laughs> and so like, it wasn't fun though.
0: Oh, wasn't.
2: But yeah, I anyway, but then yeah. You're it's still a, smiling. Hey, it's all you're ex- smiling about it. It's all experience, experience yes, exactly. bad, bad or good. You take it on board. Mm-hmm.
0: So anyway, after that, um, you know, I think Matt continued to work there for a bit. And had this, um, then I went these, traveling, yeah. Yeah, then he went traveling. And I did a few more consultancies similar to that. that Where'd all, you go
1: traveling?
2: Around Europe. Okay. All of Europe. So it's like an interrail kind of mm-hmm. thing. So okay. we did like two... Two three months.
1: Were you thinking of going back to tourism at that point, or you already knew?
2: No, that's. Uh, I don't think I'd started it then. Okay. At that point, I think when no, it came. You no, when okay. it came back, end up working for Malmaison, which is a big hotel yeah. group, uh, and then I did the tourism through that. So then, yeah. So I did the that would that was my degree, and then after that started like a one year masters, and then that's where we kind of come up to where we started. And so, yeah, the we
1: germ have... of the idea for working together,
0: right? So, and... like I said, we had, we had the, uh, an idea of maybe doing a spa in the suburbs, and uh-huh. I don't think it it's stacked up uh, in terms of what we think we need money-wise and what the place could generate, and you know, just, I just it just did not feel right. I and mean, we now know was that we made the best decision. So. We then uh, carried on doing our, our normal lives. I did a consultancy for a bar, which was like what Matt said, some of all these things where someone doesn't own a bar. Like I, I was a dentist. <laughs> it was just, it weren't it weren't out. And I seen a way out. Without leaving a in it, he was happy for me to park company because I think he wanted rid of the wage. And I was like, absolutely happy to do that because the stress levels were unprecedented, right? Worse than any kind of stress I've don't do my own bars so I walk down the road and as I'm walking down the road I see, you know, I do a left and I'm like wondering gamelessly and I see this toilet sign above the building which turned out to be our, our first bar and I seen it and I rang Matt straight away and I was like, there's a building there on Slater Street on the corner and he's like, oh you're talking up for the thing and I was like, yeah and he's like, make a phone call that was it
1: the rest is history Pretty so much. what was the first? What was your first bar?
0: 41 Slater Street. Well, um, 41A, sorry. Slater Street, um, which is Santa Chepitos, was our first bar. And we opened the doors uh, with a total investment of £33,000.
1: And how did you know what kind of bar you wanted it to be?
0: It wasn't about the bar. It was about making drinks for ourselves uh, and basically being our own boss.
2: you know boss, yeah. I haven't worked so long in the industry working for the people, but now I was in, I think it's time just to, you know being your own boss putting your own spin on things there was a big kind of gap in Liverpool the way it was at the time uh, in the that kind of like in, if you go there now it's very thriving with like independent bars and stuff like that like at the time in that area there was nothing
0: we were the first kind in of the the first of that style well, what
1: were the kind of drinks you wanted to make
0: it was more um, concepts where I thought people made decisions based on money and I, I knew that you didn't have to make decisions through drinks based on money like, example would be, right, so a lot of bars, that cocktail bars that we'd had and worked in been been to use post-mix, you know, for um, Coke or lemonade mm. or whatever like that, and I've always thought it was absolutely of the worst quality going. And, you know, you look and you go, a glass bottle of Coke and a can of Coke, they have um, their own unique qualities, and, like, you know, I, I since now know the difference in flavour between all three because I was a bit of a geek with stuff like that. And we made a decision that, based on quality, that and consistency, that if we were going to do any kind of uh, mixers, we would do it out of cans, because once that it was dead, it'd get thrown away, and there was no issue with glass and stuff like that. So we were like, the quality of, uh, let's say, a, a rum and coke for Kubaliba that you're getting from a can of coke was far superior to that of a a post mix gun. And that might seem like I don't know, like something of very just simple or ordinary, but that was the kind of detail that we were making constitutions decisions on stuff like what glassware we were going to use, what ice machine we were going to buy. These were the kind of constitutions that we were making that were going to forge how seriously we took our industry and you know how serious wanted our drinks to be. And I'm gonna be wrong, some most of our drinks aren't that serious, but it had the intent of the things were developed with a certain you know idea in mind, which was to give anyone who was well behaved. And anyone who wanted it a good experience with good drink involved and offering them the highest quality experience that we could. And How long
1: do you think it took before
0: mm.
1: Liverpool figured this out, you know, so, and you found know. you
2: and, and no, said, no, oh. I, I know
0: exactly when that happened. So the first, the first few weeks, it was developed quite slowly, but in a good way, like we'd We'd set like a break even thing, and the break even was like £3,700. We knew that was like we weren't going to make any money, but we knew we'd break even. We also knew we did £7,000 and we were working there ourselves. We'd both have a nice little salary, of like 20 something thousand pounds a year, something like that. And we couldn't get me wrong, if things hadn't changed and that was our life now, we'd still be very happy because we'd be working for ourselves and whatnot, and I'd be happy with that. But there came a tipping point so we never once made less than £7,000 since the, the door opened so I think the first week we did like £11,000 or something like that um, and that's kind of um, that's kind of just been it since then and the, the tipping point was St. Patrick's Day in April uh, we never had like a really busy midweek night and I think St. Patrick's Day might have been on a Tuesday or a Wednesday or something like that or maybe even a Thursday and we had like our first big, big night which was we did £3,000 in a night, which was, to us, that was huge, mm-hmm. they were like, oh my, you know, £3,000 there a night, I couldn't have thought of doing that, and that was a tipping point, from that point onwards, the next day, did the same, and he obviously were exposed to much bigger crowd, and we even painted the bar a different colour that day, we painted the columns in front of the bar, we painted them the Irish flag, and we really made a, a go of it, and you know, just, some people that work worked at night still work actually no, two lads who still work all that nights still okay. work for the company out.
1: And then it just exploded, and you have how many bars in, in Liverpool now?
2: Four bars, two restaurants.
1: Four bars, two restaurants. And now you've come to London. Mm-hmm. Yes. With one of yours, which yes. is El Bendito. Mm-hmm. So why don't you tell us about El Bendito and how, uh, you know, the the theme and how you thought of it?
0: Okay, well, we'll start with the theme, is it's tequila mezcal area. um... Which that, that, that term by the way Mezcal area and tequila area, wasn't really coined uh, I reckon in the last 10 years until fairly recently so, but I mean that's just by the bike. because you haven't really had very many specialists Mezcal or tequila Mezcal is a very new thing to the industry uh, although it's been around for hundreds of years it's just new for, for selling a lot of it so what happened was the first bar that we had was uh, definitely a run bar because I used to be uh, quite an avid rum collector um quite like a few years ago I found it was my specialist niche and I had a, a very very big rum collection which I I not the while when it first opened and yeah over the years I think my love for rum th- definitively died and it was literally it, I can tell you the moment it happened the moment <laughs> it happened was um we were conned by a a rum company basically signed a contract we got let down with their payments and their, don't let say good, but we were let down by the payments and they got promised the trip because we had smashed all expectations and the, the contract that they gave us was just obviously they thought we'd never fulfill it and we did. That was the first dent. And then the second one was when we went, actually, I went to uh, my first Caribbean rum distillery, you know, I asked to taste the rum out of the barrel and I did and I asked how old the barrel was, the barrel was 10 years old and I thought I was in for a treat and I was greeted with a glass of dust. It tasted disgusting. Uh And ever since then, I know that's now the case, so I know that what comes out of the barrel isn't necessarily what goes directly into the bottle. It goes through a rigorous blending process, and things get added to it, and I just thought it was very dishonest.
1: So you just switched on over to tequila Well,
0: we'd always liked tequila anyway. I mean, we'd always had uh, some some good agave selection in in the bar, but I think what happened was... I just thought that the tequila as a product was slightly a bit more honest. The aging process in itself is so much smaller. You know, you just think yourself. I mean, if I get into the technicalities of it, just that makes it much more hard to lie about what you've done to it. So, you know, I went to I went to Mexico a few times, and every time I went, you know, the distilleries just seemed very open about what they do. And you know, although they do see you as a gringo, the things they just <laughs> can't hide. And then did that test where a guy called Stefano, who was working for a woman called Sophie at the time, he was like, you know, hey guys, do you want to taste the Reposado? And I was with a friend of mine called Danny McNeil, and he, we were like, yeah, yeah, go on. So he got his hand in a, on a bottle, glass bottle, put it in the barrel, filled it with the bottle, and went, there you go, guys. And we were like shocked, and was like, so this was like a bottle straight out of the barrel, and we tasted it, and it just tasted exactly the same as the product. I mean, I'd mean, i done it a few years previous in Jameson's we tasted mm. some sherry um, some sherry cask direct off the off the barrel house and it was absolutely amazing um, so you know stuff like that you know these kind of things just edged me more into thinking that I wanted to find that if I was going to really like a product I needed something to really believe in and know that if I'm passing the information on to someone else that I wasn't going to be lying to them and I wasn't mm-hmm. going to be telling them something that I wasn't absolutely 100% sure about and Suppose you just went from there.
1: Why do you? Why did you bring it down to London? This one.
0: Well, Joseph, wherever Joseph's car, he's knocking around somewhere. Um, <laughs> he was working for us in another bar, and then the vacancy for you know running our bandy to Liverpool came up, and he'd done a pop up for us, uh, which he called cooking which was uh, sponsored by One Boker. and it done really well. No, it didn't do well to the point where it made you know. Tens of thousands of pounds, but it showed that Joe had an active interest in making something work for himself. So I approached Joe Arp and said, "You know, do you want to take a stab at tequila?" And he goes, "What do you mean?" I went, "Well, I can, you know, make you obviously the uh, the guy running um, the guy running um, El Bandito." And he was like, "Okay." As he goes, "I don't know how much about tequila." I went, "Well, that doesn't matter. The fact that you're admitting to me now you don't know much about tequila, you know, it means you're not going to plug it. So you're going to..." Work hard and learn whatever you need to learn to make a success, and then about a year or two later, Joe had done that well with Dalma Gay and the products he was selling with for Dalma Gay, which is a mezcal brand. Um, they, you know, gave the bar mezcal status, which meant that they gave us a, a plaque with our name on it, similar to like you know Charles Dickens lived here kind of blue plaque you get. And just kind of was a symbol to notify people that if they wanted to try, you know, setting good range of Mezcals this was the place
1: they're doing. Was it something that you always wanted to bring something to London? Was that a goal for I mean, the future? I
2: mean, as the company, we, we, me and John have a kind of a loose five year plan we made quite a while ago. Um, I'm not going to tell you exactly what it is, but. Um, Damn, I know yeah. the secrets. <laughs> today. No, I mean, it, it involves obviously expanding really out busy. the city, <laughs> potentially into Europe and <laughs> in the States, perhaps, um, as that of course, kind of end game. Um, obviously, London, kind of being in a capital city of sort of good big magnitude, is was pretty important. So it's important for, you know, what we do back in Liverpool as well. That this is successful, you know what I mean. Rather than you expanding out, you're also helping what you've already got, aren't you? Mm. So I think um, it's definitely important. Definitely, uh, but I think we're seeing the benefits of it already. <coughs>
1: There can't be many Mezcalerias in the UK.
2: No, there's not. No, mm. Mm. So there that's, a, that's know, a huge... Hand handful. handful, yeah.
1: Um, cl- you know, clap on the back for you yeah. guys to uh, to have that.
0: You you see, the average person would have seen it as a risk. We didn't really see it as a risk. We we thought it was something we could afford to do. And we know that there's a saying, you know, you don't find Mezcal, Mezcal finds you. <laughs> and that was told to me by Ron Cooper many years ago. And he's right. And the majority of people that come to this bar in London, you know, they're are an active interest. Do you know what I mean? You're looking at a much bigger population down here, so you, you're going to have a lot more people that mezcal has found, you know, and these people that have an active interest in once come down here and, you know, they want to see what else on offer, you know, you know most bars are super maybe,
1: uh, specific. Yeah,
0: mm-hmm. mm-hmm. want to see, you know, and you can see we did tasting flights where we do uh, two different ones we do uh, highland low Lowland Tequila where we talk about the difference of 2R and what effects that may have on tequila and then we just do a straight Espinning Agave which is a mezcal uh, against just a Blue and Webber Agave and you know, how the differences pair up I mean it's very obvious I mean, it's like tasting two different spirits if I'm being honest but for the average person when they just hear mezcal and tequila they don't see the relation Unless, they, unless they've been in a industry and then they've been told, and then, you know, but the average consumer, it's a great little experience.
2: And
1: you have some really um, creative things on the menu here. It's not just a margarita, you know. No, we do do margaritas, use, and we yes, sell <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: I said it's just it's yeah. not just a margarita. Okay, yeah. You're using kale juice and ginger and. Carrot juice, kind of the healthy cocktails. Right. Well,
0: the <laughs> well, the, the, the two you just mentioned, then the one with kale juice and the other one with carrot juice. That start with an idea of what we wanted to do. We wanted uh, two drinks that represented uh, the agave plant and kind of how it grows. So the on the carrot juice, in which is the roots of agave, that drink represents the soil. So if you go to the highlands of Arandas, the the soils like a very deep red clay uh, color and. You know, this, the the orange that the carrot juice gives, the, the drink, really does stand out, and it is a really unique colour, and we, we contrast that with some uh, with a pineapple foam. But the, the idea of, of it was, so you want to get this this idea of the root, sorry, the, the yeah, the whole uh, kind of this root vegetable thing that agave is almost like, so when you cook agave, it gets this very stringy thing, like a sweet potato, and... You know, our last time I was in Mexico, I was like this is really similar to the sweet potato, parsnips, kind of thing. And I was like, is there any, is there any correspondence between the two? And then we found out, yeah, there is really. And then we couldn't get sweet potato to work. We tried a lot, and then we couldn't get parsnip to work or beetroot. And you know, we tried carrot a couple of times. We didn't really know a carrot was the one until we tried all the others. And then just to top it off, pineapple goes really well with tequila same I guess it's the sweetness
1: the sweetness yeah. of the carrot
0: and the sweetness of the pineapple well cooked pineapple uh-huh. tastes a little similar to agave sometimes so uh-huh. you know it crossover over flavour notes quite a lot so the two added together that's a very nice drink it's a unique drink you know no one's really doing anything like that with the agave product anyway And I uh, never heard
1: that I haven't seen it on a menu at all so no. it's really uh, innovative and then
0: the other one the uh, kale mezcalavita uh, that came because we wanted to represent the leaves of the agave plant which is mm-hmm. like a a bluey greeny colour, and we were just like, Oh, how do you make a drink green anyway? And we started cold pressing kale juice, which I'll tell you now is a <laughs> pain in the ass sort of process because you don't
1: get very much, do you? Oh, yeah, well,
0: you know, I know you don't get very much, so um, cold pressed kale juice. And then me and Ben, when we first started, were like, Oh, so we'll just press it like four or five times until you get more. and then it just ends up so bitter and horrible. First press is obviously. What you need, but you obviously need to go through and a hell of a lot, of, nice, yeah. hell of a t- hell of a lot of kale for to make it worthwhile. So, yeah, we, we got. that I mean, how we can make this into a drink? That was it. So we got the green, and then it just transpired. We experimented around for a full day, you know, adding bits and bobs. First, it was a tequila drink. Then it was a mezcal drink. I first didn't have ginger, and then I had ginger, and then you know, it didn't have lime juice. We were experimenting around for a whole of plethora of different things until we land on the drink that we have I will say to you it does look unique when you see it uh, it doesn't taste like it's got kale kale has got much flavour anyway it's more of a presentation quality but it does smell like it's got kale on it it and smells definitely. like well, how long are
1: you guys here in London for the pop-up
0: uh, mm-hmm. Well, we've actually got a lease on a property to live in uh, for 12 months. so.
1: Oh, so there's lots of time for people to come down and try yeah, these. Yeah, plenty
2: of time. You're in, you're, yeah. if, we,
0: if, we, if we move on from here, we'll be moving somewhere else. You know, um, East London's shown to be somewhere that we like, whether it be Dalston or... It's um, the place, Hackney or, or yeah. the place Bethnal Green. Green. Our friend kind of ours owns a bar Bethnal
2: Green. All
1: definitely work. places that are hopping when it comes to cocktails. Yep. Now you guys have made me so thirsty, so yep. I've got to try one of these. One cool. that, you know, I'm very interested in kale
2: yep.
0: and
1: mezcal, so Where's should it? we go make one?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're sure. gonna make one. All right, right.
1: thanks. Okay, I have to admit that the kale mezcaleria tasted way better than I thought, not being much of a kale fan. Still, I am a mezcal fan, so I need to thank John and Matt for bringing El Bandito to London and of course for being on the show. For my cocktail of the week, I'm going with the simple margarita, but this time it's Craig Claiborne style, the former food editor and critic of the New York Times. On July 30th, 1960, he wrote a piece for the Times, introducing tequila to his readers, calling it, quote, vaguely sweet, slightly musty, and certainly pronounced, unquote. Knocking the Bloody Mary off its pedestal, the margarita was now the drink of choice. Times have hardly changed. Here's his simple recipe. One and a half ounces of tequila. One ounce of Cointreau or triple sec. One ounce lime or lemon juice. And then combine everything in a shaker, add ice, and shake well. Then strain into a salt-rimmed glass and serve. That certainly hasn't changed. We celebrate Whiskey Month by having Simo on our program. People come from near and far to sip whiskey at the legendary Milroy's in Soho. Find out next week how this 30-year-old became such a whiskey aficionado in such a short time. Until next time, bottoms up. For more information and links to everything you've heard about, plus a bit more, please visit bestbitsworldwide.com. Thanks for listening to Best Sips Worldwide, a spin-off of Best Bits Worldwide. Always remember the wise words of Oscar Wilde, all things in moderation, including moderation, and never drink and drive. Okay, I said that last part. Theme music is by Stephen Shapiro and used with permission. You'll find me at the bar.